Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. Nick, I have a question for you. Go for it. Sometimes um, I'll have clients who are what I would describe as um, pretty unaware of some of their motivations, some of their habits, some of their um, maybe relationships to emotion, just kind of unaware or or, or not a lot of insight there into their own kind of um, behavior patterns, thought patterns, emotions. Um, and, and, you know, when I first started, uh, as a therapist, I was surprised by that. I think as a therapist and, and someone who's kind of self-selected into this field, right. um, I'm just kind of constantly thinking about my motivations, my thoughts, my behaviors, my actions and patterns. Not that I'm aware of all <laughs> of them completely or mastered them, but, um, sometimes I'm a little taken back by how little insight some of my clients have into their own existence, I guess, sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you run into this in therapy at all? Yes. Yes. (laughs) And were you also surprised by it in the beginning? Um, I guess I'm I'm not necessarily surprised by the general idea of that, but there are specific instances of it that really surprise me. Like, um, so actually uh, an example of this was the other day, like I, I was talking to a client about how she, she was describing a story of an interaction with, with her and her sister. And she, it was amazingly insightful, both about what was going on with her sister and, and her kind of emotional response and inclinations and motivations um, in this interaction with her sister. But then she was describing, in, you know, 20 minutes later, she was talking about a, um, a similar interaction with her boss. And it was like, no insight whatsoever. Like mm. had no idea what was going on with herself, or or even with with her body. Like just, it, it, yeah, it was it was shocking. And that discrepancy was like, what? Yeah, really? Like that? But then, but then after it was interesting. After the session, I did the little thought experiment for myself of, huh? Like, what are some difficult situations I've been in with like maybe conversations with my wife or, you know, difficult sessions with clients or, and I realized for myself too there it's surprising how sometimes we can have a lot of insight and then sometimes we we just like we're blind to it so yeah yeah anyway i i think definitely uh it's kind of introspection and and self-awareness i'm sure that is kind of a general characteristic and maybe some people kind of have more of it than others um and so and we get that would be interesting to talk about but it's also fascinating to me that it's it also seems kind of domain specific you know, and as you, as you were saying that, I think you're right. There are areas in my life I think I'm woefully um, uninsightful about, and then maybe some that I am. Um, and that makes sense for even clients that um, I, I recently had a client who enters into a lot of conflict with her adult son, um, really kind of verbally abusive kind of back and forth with this adult son. And recently um, they planned a trip to go visit their son. And she's just as apprehensive as can be about visiting her son, you know? And so we're, 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 we had this session to kind of prepare her for this vacation. And she tells me, you know, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to plan my own day. And he, if he wants to join me, that's great. If he doesn't, that's fine. I don't want to get too wrapped up into 
what he's going to do with me and what he's not. And I'm like, that's beautiful. That's a really well put. And she said, I'm going to treat him really well. And he has to treat me well too. And I stopped her and I said, no, he doesn't. Your therapist's spidey sense went off <laughs> yeah. like crazy. I said, no, he absolutely doesn't. And she looked at me and kind of, you know, did that head tilt. And she was like, you're right, he doesn't, does he? And I said, no, and he probably isn't going to, you know. <laughs> and so you need to be prepared for that. Um, but then it led us into the conversation about this kind of rigid expectation she has of him mm-hmm. all the time to treat her well. And that if he doesn't, then she flies off the handle at him because she's mad because mm-hmm. he violated her law, right? you know? And and so it, it led to this really beautiful discussion about her rigid expectation of being treated really well, um, despite historically never having that experience with mm-hmm. him or rarely having that experience with him. Um, and to her, it was like this really interesting insight into her own, like, wow, I impose this rigid set of rules on people that they have to behave the way I want them to, um, which is something we've talked a lot about in therapy as a habit. But in this moment, she was able to kind of get that insight and see it for herself and and hopefully enough to kind of make her alter her behavior around that. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Um, but that was another moment where I was like, wow, we've talked about this a lot. And it seems like your her level of insight just skyrocketed in that one session. She was really able to kind of start articulating other ways she's 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 done this and so really mm-hmm. kind of accommodating that information into her um her already kind of set schemas of, of relationships. And it just seemed much more um it, it seemed a lot like she was kind of attuned to it. She was getting it finally. And if I'm hearing you right, a sign that this was a deeper, more profound insight and sense of understanding about these expectations was that she was kind of generalizing it. She was realizing she was able to see where that pattern was also in, in existence places. in other yeah. contexts of her life. And and it just, and in, there are those moments in therapy where that head tilt happens and you see the gears turning and there's this kind of interesting look that clients give you. And at least I interpret that as, as hmm, sometimes I, I think I do more head tilting than my clients <laughs> do. <laughs> That's usually the case. I think, um, one of the benefits of being a therapist is you get to learn so much more than your clients totally. sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, so it got me thinking about insight and how to develop insight because, it, it, you know, no matter how insightful that you are about your own behavior, there's probably areas that you might be a little blind to. Mm-hmm. And so then how would someone start to develop a better, um, develop the skill of having more insight and kind of, um, and that's kind of what the process of therapy is about in a way, in, in many ways. But mm. I'm thinking for people who aren't maybe in therapy and just have other kind of situations in their life where they're really unsure about what's going on, um, how would you, how would one start to develop more insight? Yeah. This makes me think of, we, we use uh, mechanical metaphors a lot, the two of us, <laughs> for, for the process of therapy and psychology. But one of my favorites is, and I often talk to clients about this, is um, thinking about your car and sometimes as a therapist, I think my job is to help people learn how to change their oil. For example, mm-hmm. there's some specific, mm-hmm. you know, so someone comes in, they've got sleep problems, right? There's some pretty technical things we can kind of learn together and I can help them practice that will really help with their sleep. But then sometimes, sometimes I think the best thing that I do as a therapist is I teach people how to pop the hood of their car and check out their engine. Nice. Like I don't I don't necessarily know what to do once we start looking at it, but I can show them where the little button is to kind of pop it uh-huh. and maybe encourage them to lift it up 
and put that little you know little stick that holds the holds the thing up. <laughs> right, you're the best mechanic ever. Keep Mine, going. Mine's broken. I use a stick. I literally have, a, have stick a stick in the back of my car <laughs> that I hold it up with because the little hydraulic thing is uh, totally broken. Um, wow. Well. <laughs> but there's a. I think what you're getting at is, it's one thing to be kind of aware of a particular thing. Um, whether it's a, a feeling or a motivation or a behavior or an expectation or whatever. But there is this more general kind of habit of learning to look at yourself and question yourself right. more generally. Right. To kind of, it, metaphorically speaking, to pop the hood on your own mind right. and say like, hmm. What's happening? What's going on in there? Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, a little smoke starts coming out of the hood. And I think a lot of our, our reaction is, instantly to just like pull over and call triple a or you know like take it into the shop as soon as i can or and that's you know it's not necessarily a bad thing but you know wouldn't it be cool if you could pull over have your triple a card ready but pop the hood see what's going on in there if you know a little you know a thing or two about how an engine works may, maybe there's something in there you can actually identify and and do something about right but either way getting in that habit, you're going to learn more about your car and how your car runs, you know? Yeah, and, there, and there's really no one to take, there's, <laughs> to, to extend this metaphor mm -hmm. to the point of ridiculousness. <laughs> um, you, you really can't take yourself into someone to be fixed like you can your car, right? Right. And, and so I think that's the whole job of therapy. I love the way you describe that. Is like what I do is I teach people how to pop the hood, examine what's going on, teach them kind of basically how this mm -hmm. this thing operates and runs and and then kind of point them in a direction, you know? Yeah. Um, and hopefully they gain the insight. I, I think that's what's so great about cognitive behavioral therapy is is that's the goal. You know, we want to mm -hmm. teach you to be your own mechanic, basically, right. so that in the future, if anything should happen, you know what to do. Yeah. You got the goods. Um, and, and so I've, I've come up with a little, you know, three-step process Ooh, then, you have a three-step process. Well, we'll see. It could right. be more. It I'm, could be more because I'm, I'm going to ad lib a little. Okay. So it might be five. I don't know. Um, but I think first you want to identify a target. Like what? What do you? What is it around that you want to develop more insight to? Because you can't just develop global insight yeah. into everything you are. Or may, it, you can't do that directly. No, that may happen. You may gain more general insight, right. but you right. you can't just. It's like happiness. You can't just decide to be happy. Yeah, no. no you do things that make you happy. Right. Okay, so anyway, for point one. Point one. I have and, a target. And so these targets, there's there's many types. Um, and, and so to give you a, a general direction, look for behaviors, emotions, or thoughts that are giving you problems, right? Mm. And, and to extend the metaphor, if you're constantly running out of gas, you know, <laughs> it, it might be a good idea to say, why am I doing that? What's going on there? There's a, there's a good behavior. Or if you're constantly avoiding something because of anxiety, because of fear, because of whatever, mm -hmm. worry, um, if, if there's things that are giving you fits that you're not able to accomplish, yeah. there's another kind of thing to start thinking about. Why is it? Yes. Well, okay. So that on one level, that seems super obvious, like so obvious that people are thinking, well, yeah, duh. Like, but why is that? I think that's actually surprisingly hard to in the car, Matt, if you keep running out of gas, to actually ask yourself, why do I keep running out of gas? So what's what's a real life mm -hmm. example of a, a target problem that superficially seems like it would be easy to say, okay, why am I having this problem? But that mm -hmm. we actually 
surprisingly often don't even ask that question. Um, like, what does that look like? Let's say I'm having a really hard time getting to the gym. Okay. I, I noticed that week after week, I am not getting to the gym. And right. I keep setting that goal. I yep. keep telling myself I am. I, I keep not doing it, right? Mm-hmm. And so to say, geez, I'm having a hard time with that behavior. There's, there's something in the way of me getting to the gym. And what you're saying is a lot of people don't even do that. They don't I, even I don't ask think so. themselves. Yeah. So they've got a story. You know? I think you're right. They got so, a story. I'm busy. I, uh, I, you know, I don't have time, and and that's their narrative. And that okay. might be that might that might be an, an, a critical element in this whole process. But to then say, well, let's examine this. Mm-hmm. What what's getting in the way here? Why am I in particular having a hard time navigating my schedule, planning, prepping, whatever it is? What's going on? that I'm having a hard uh, time. So the reason we don't ask that question well is because we just go with our superficial default answer. Our narrative. We yeah. often have a very habitual narrative that's right. probably not real well thought through. Well, think about what you tell yourself every day, right? You're like, ah, man, I'd, I'd love to get to the gym, but man, I got, I got the kids at home. I got this, I got that, I, you know? And so at the end of the week, you're like, ah, I didn't get to it. It was a busy week, yeah. you know, next week, next week. Right. And that's it, I think, yeah. And so to start asking the deeper question, okay. what's really going on here? And to be not to not be to notice that initial answer and not be satisfied with it, be a little skeptical. Yeah, or or why is it that I'm that busy? You know that I can't mm-hmm. make time to. Well, what's going on? You know to yeah. really kind of almost sit down and draw it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to take a that g- time. I think a good example of this is if you listen to um, radio shows or interview podcast interview, really good interviewers they have this great ability to, they ask really good follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. They often ask an, an initial question and then they get kind of an initial superficial answer and they, without being combative, they sort of prod the person to give a better answer. Right. And I think that's a really good skill to develop with ourselves. Yep. yep. To, to notice those like, eh, yeah, that's kind of an answer, but like, let's go a level deeper. Yeah, let's, let's go under that. Why, you know, if, if I'm saying I don't have time, yeah. Why don't I have any right. time? And is that true? First of all, is that true? I don't have any time <laughs> right. to get to the gym. Uh, all my time was taken up. Yeah. I never watched Netflix this week. I never, you know, to, and not to be judgmental or critical or, or hypercritical, let's right. say, of yourself, but just to examine the situation, yeah. look at the nuts and bolts of it. Kind of mechanically. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> nuts and bolts. Um, yeah. And, 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 to, and to really kind of do a deeper dive okay. into why. You may even come up with answers that aren't, that helpful mm. or accurate, but we're going to test them next. Yeah. So part two mm. is... That, I got to say, that was a hell of a point one. Hell of a point one. It's a good point one. You're good? It's a solid point There's one. There's two more. I've, I've seen some pretty flimsy point ones in my <laughs> time. It's a good one. All right. Um, step two, once you have some of those deeper dive kind of answers, whether they're... You, and we don't know at this point right. whether they're true. Right we really don't. Theories. I can say, well, man, I don't have time because... Um, my afternoons are booked, so maybe the morning is my time. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what I've got to do. Or I don't have time because I'm not prepping, and by the time I'm prepped, it's way too late at night. Uh, the demands of my, my home life are, are there and whatever. Sure. And so you develop a, a, an idea of what those things are, and you, and you create a plan to kind of test them. Say, okay, okay. I'm going to plan now to go in, in the morning. Maybe that's my time. You know? mm-hmm. Maybe that'll work. Or I'm going to plan to have my gym bag ready by the time I go to work. That mm-hmm. way, on the way home from work, I can just stop by. I don't have to waste any more time, right? Right. So then you put that plan into place and you look at it. And and did it work? Was it effective for you? 
and then you do the you repeat the process again. So three is basically repeating the steps mm-hmm. to to really see it was that it was that it and and to ask those questions all over again. You know, and, and if I didn't get to the gym again, mm-hmm. I go okay. Well, it wasn't because I don't have time. I know that mm-hmm. it wasn't because of my prepping issue because I prepped every day. Um, what do I do now? What mm-hmm. what's going on here? And you might. I think it's an important thing to start writing data down. Yeah. Really. So we're as as we're as we're trying out our experiment, we're also recording what mm-hmm. was effective, what wasn't. Um and usually what I have people record is emotions, thoughts and behaviors. Mm-hmm. What's going on there? Because those are the three things that are more than likely going to be having heart. So I could say, man, that didn't work prepping my bag. You know, I, I, I was driving by the gym and I just went, Ugh, I don't want to do this. And I got this real feeling of like dread and I just kept driving home. And, yeah. and then I was like so elated I didn't have to work or go to work <laughs> out. And so I just stayed home. Well, now you've got another answer. I have a hard time going to the gym because I dread it. You know, I have this feeling of dread. Uh-huh. What do I do about that? Yep. And then we develop another plan. Hmm. And we keep tackling that and developing. And hopefully along the way, you're starting to say, wow, it's not time for me. It's, mm. it's an emotional kind of reaction to the thought or, or to, to my drive to the gym or yeah. whatever it is. I got to say, I love how mechanical, and, and when I say mechanical, what I really mean is I love how non-moral any of this is. It's, it's not right or wrong, true, false. It's just I like... I there's any morality about, you know, a lot of things. <laughs> well, but I, I just like the attitude of, let's just look at this mechanically. Purely like, observational. What are, yeah, what are the yeah. process? It, in, and in a way, I, what I really like about this is it's very scientific. Like a good scientist, mm-hmm. you observe, you come up with a theory, and then you test it, right. and you see what happens. You I, record. I got this, yeah. You record data because... At the end of the week, your mind and memory are There's no way shit. you don't remember that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And you're not going to remember. Right. So you're going to create another narrative. <laughs> and maybe it's maybe right. it's more accurate than the first one, but recording data. Did yep. I get to the gym? What was I thinking? What was I doing? Yeah. What was I feeling? Because then you can actually test it. Then you, right? well, you have topics for insight right. to start to say, how do I respond to that? Exactly. And you can see, again, like good science, you can see does the data I got, does that match up with my theory? And if not, I go back to the drawing board and I change the theory a little bit, right? Right. Then I go out and I do another test and I see, do I get closer? And I just keep repeating the process. Like that's, this is literally the scientific method. Like this is how science and progress happen. And there's no reason we shouldn't be applying this to ourselves, to our own psychology and emotional lives. Right. So, so my three, so the three steps then again are that deep dive, Asking yourself, what's going on with this problem? Mm-hmm. Two, then testing your answers with a plan and recording data. And then three, develop another plan using the insight you gained mm-hmm. from step two to say like, oh, that didn't work. That wasn't effective or that was effective. It was planning. It was prepping. And then you have more insight. Then you say, hey, if I have a goal, I need to prepare for those things. Mm-hmm. I need to be prepared as a human organism I just tend to have the temperament where I need to be more prepared because if I have an easy excuse, I'll take it. And so being prepared and and ready to go helps me be more effective. Right. And that might be particular to you, but now you have personal insight into Mm -hmm. yourself. And so by doing this kind of repeated testing and recording, you start to develop the data to say, here's what I'm like. Here's what my tendencies are. 
And how do I get better at those things? Well, I, mm-hmm. I, I test those tendencies. I, I try to get better at those things. So I, one of the things I really like about this, in addition to being um, wonderfully non-moral or judgy, the fact that this is so mechanical is all, makes it really non-mystical and esoteric. I think right. a lot of people associate therapy and insight and personal understanding, and they, they think of it as this, well, if I, if I lay down and talk about my mother long enough, some shrink is going to come up with an amazing insight, It'll and that's just, just going to fix my life. Snap into place. And <laughs> so much garbage in that. Wait a minute. In, like, Sometimes per- I come up with some damn good insights, Nick. <laughs> life-changing ones. I'm sure you do, Dr. Small. <laughs> <laughs> but I love how this is this is so doable. It's so ordinary. I mean, it's, it's a, not it's easy. It's real straightforward. But it's super straightforward. Yeah. And um, to your point of not being judgmental or hypercritical or moral, as you put it, um, man, I don't... There are contexts, I guess, where you need to be worried about those things improving one's life is not one of them. I don't think, I mean, Mm. or or unless you're, you're just obviously confronting moral issues, but if you're trying to improve a behavior, I I don't know that a lot of hypercritical judgments, um, I've kind of made this assertion before. I don't know how helpful they are. Well, that's, you know, I actually like that. I I think you can, you can try to be a more moral person. Like you can try and be, you can have the, the virtue of friendliness is something you think is a good thing. Like, okay. And I'm not Morally very, good. I'm not very friendly, and that makes me not a good person. Like, I'm, I'm fine with that. If you want to make that judgment, fine. Even if that's true, though, if you want to be a friendlier person, thinking about that task in moral terms is probably not very helpful. I, I think yeah. you're actually more likely to get there if you think about it in mechanical terms. I do, too. What are the... What are the pathways I could take? What are the potential obstacles? Like, think about it like a physics problem, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. a morality yeah. problem. And I think, ironically, that's going to make you a more moral person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so, too. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I, I, getting into this kind of internal battle with yourself about whether you're a good person, bad person, I don't, I don't know. I, it, that's one. I'm a psychologist, not a philosopher or a priest so mm-hmm. morality is 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 not my wheelhouse maybe um, <laughs> <laughs> functional uh you know behavior is um and so i'm more worried about that but if you want to be more moral which there's nothing wrong with that at all um defining your philosophy and how it works for you and making sure it's functional is part of that so the judgment and the hypercritical kind of negative um um, criticisms. I, I don't know. I don't know how effective they are. Yeah, being moralistic with yourself for being immoral is not a good way to stop being <laughs> right. immoral. To, or yeah, if, if I'm if I'm having a problem lying, let's say we uh-huh. can all agree that's probably not a good thing. Right. To go like, man, what's going on with how much I'm lying? Like, why am I doing that? And then kind of, you know, doing that deep dive and saying, I think I'm lying because I want people to like me. Uh, I don't yeah. want to, you know, like shoot. Okay, well, let's test that. You yeah. Know? Let me get better at tolerating people kind of not, me not being so eager to please people and see how that goes. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, ooh, there's an emotion there that I'm having a hard time with. You know, if people yeah. don't like me, I feel, you know, self-conscious or whatever. Let me let me get better at that. And then we develop the plan, we test it, and then we say, how am I doing there? That doesn't, no, and no part of that do I need to kind of go into a corner and say, I'm a terrible, awful person and deserve <laughs> nothing but hell in my life because I lie. Right. It, and and from that point, 
you're, you know, if you did that, you'd feel worse and probably mm-hmm. not motivated to be like, hey, you know, I need to develop a plan to look for insight. Yeah. yeah. So I think the way I would think about it is that um, I don't think thinking morally and thinking mechanically are mutually exclusive. Absolutely and not. Actually, I think the ability to think mechanically about our psychology and our inner lives actually is probably the best way to be more moral if that's your objective. Because one of the best ways to get sidetracked and fall off the wagon from any kind of plan of progress is to get really judgmental and critical with yourself. Yeah. Uh, it's just I just a recipe see that for over anxiety and, depression. and over and over again. Yeah. It, it just doesn't work in the long run. Yeah, not at all. But it requires learning how to analyze your difficulties and your, you know, kind of growth targets in this mechanical way, which I think most of us, that's a, a skill we're not really used to. Well, and it allows you to s- escape the like gnarly kind of emotional trappings of trying to do this in a judgmental right. kind of context where you can just look at it as a problem to be solved and to improve upon, not as some kind of global indication of who you are as a person. Right. Yeah. Which is why your um, nuts and bolts three point plan for personal insight and self-improvement <laughs> is so great. There it is. Trademark Tom Sewell 2019. With a hell of a step one. <laughs> hell of a step one. Hey everyone, Nick and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. And if you have any feedback or comments for us, that'd be great as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast, let us know in the comment section as well. Thanks. Thanks.